So let's just pray uh, before we turn to God's word together, shall we? So, Lord, this morning, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would speak to us through your living word, through Jesus Christ, that we may once again be inspired and changed and transformed by him and the hope we have in him. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you saw little Harry uh, came sneaking in. I think you probably did see it. It's fairly obvious um, when we were praying earlier. And of course, he came in because it started snowing outside. Uh, just a lovely uh, thing for a child, like always hoping for snow. And every now and then it just turns up even when you weren't hoping for it. A lovely. We didn't know that one was coming. A lovely uh, thing for him and for us. I can see my connection's not great. I think it will go up and down a bit as we speak. But hopefully you can hear me. I'll make sure my microphone is nice and close so you can hear. You know, so many of us in our country right now, in our nation, our communities are looking for hope right now. Hope that things, I guess, really will just be okay in the end. Hope that this pandemic will end soon. You see, as humans, we need hope. We look for hope. We cling to the slightest chance or glimmer of hope. Often we cling to false hope. But the amazing thing is over the last few weeks, what we've been reminded of is that as Christians, every person who puts their faith in Jesus has a real hope, not a wishful thinking hope, or I'm sure it will be okay hope, or uh, we'll muddle through somehow hope, but a life-changing hope, a sure hope, a certain hope, the ultimate hope. But what exactly is this hope? Leilani, I don't know if you've got my titles, um, whether that email came through or not. Uh, Yeah, look at that. Hope for every believer. But what is it is what I want to talk about this morning and next week, a double sermon, if you like, Um, because sometimes when we're asked the question, so what is this ultimate hope that you have as Christians um, and how does it speak into the struggle we're going through today? um, We can struggle sometimes to articulate it and we can end up grasping at the old cliches. Somehow we'll just be all right in the end. But right now, for many families, it's not all right, is it? It's been really hard and we're marking the moment of 100,000 people in our country having now died because of this virus. And we're dealing with death and suffering and sorrow and pain on a national scale that we haven't had to deal with like this since the war. And at times like this, simple cliches don't really satisfy and actually they're not what we as Christians need to grasp at. We have something so much better because deep down we know and we're sure that our Christian hope actually does change everything doesn't it and that we definitely know that it means that death is not the end and we are right but the truth is even the best of us can struggle to articulate exactly what it is we believe sometimes and what our hope really is for today and for tomorrow and even when someone has died I mean, think about the words of the Apostles' Creed, this ancient creed, the the beliefs of the earliest Christians uh, written down in this creed. Um, And sometimes we sing it in song form. Uh, You know the song, I believe in God, our Father, that one, right? I'll not sing anymore, sorry. Um, We sing, I believe, in life eternal. And we hear that and we go, yeah, I know what that is. That must be talking about living in heaven with Jesus when I die. I believe <coughs> in the resurrection. And we say 
uh, that we will rise again. And you go, um, well, I'm not quite sure what that one really means, because does that mean in a literal bodily sense? And what if we've already in heaven? Why do I need to rise if I'm in heaven? And we go, let's just skip that one, perhaps. And I believe that Jesus will come again. And we go, yes, I do. But but. What's the significance of that if we're already in heaven and why would we need that? And is that just for the people left on earth? And and it's tricky to work out how it all fits together. Um, and so we often just cling to, well, what we do know, which is it will be all right in the end. And in some ways, I want to say there's nothing wrong with that because that is true. Sometimes simplicity is all we need, but it's not the full story. There's actually so much more to our Christian hope than that. And I want to explore that a little bit with you this morning. You see, we don't have all the answers and I don't have all the answers. And much of what we're touching on here is indeed a mystery. But I want us to realize again over the next two weeks that the earliest Christians actually had an amazing understanding of the depth and the breadth of Christian hope. It was so vivid that it shaped and framed everything they did in this life. It is what Peter called a living hope. And they used the language uh, that we find in the creed to explain it, to hold it all together. This language that we often misunderstand or kind of just ignore. But these are concepts and language we need to revisit and uh, kind of reclaim if we're going to discover the absolute wonder of the hope we have as Christians. As one writer put it, contemporary writer, when we rediscover it, we are often so surprised because it is a surprisingly amazing hope we have. You see, our earliest brothers and sisters, they didn't have a lovely church building with plush seats and things. They didn't have a respectable middle class faith that even though people kind of looked down on it a little bit, it was kind of quite middle class and respectable to, you know, go to church. Um, they were seen as an eccentric cult. They were looked down upon and hated uh, by those around. They were an abomination to respectable religion. They were a threat to peace and and, and security in society as a whole. They were hated and persecuted and suffered so greatly because of their faith. Yet they had been captured by a hope that was so real, a vision so powerful, a truth so life changing. They were captivated by a person so worthy that their whole lives had now been totally reorientated by it. Their stories had been totally rewritten by it. Their mission had been totally reinvigorated by it. And what they had discovered was this living hope, this Christian hope. And what's amazing about this Christian hope was that hardship didn't shake it. Suffering didn't weaken it. Persecution couldn't dampen it. In fact, this newfound living hope didn't just help them scrape through with a bit of I'm sure it'll be OK in the end. It carried them through gloriously. As we heard in our reading, and I uh, would ask you to open your Bibles. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 9 is where I'm going to be dipping into. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 9. As we hear in that reading, it actually carried them through with great joy and thanksgiving and praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, Peter says. And again, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer in all kinds of trials. And again, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Wow, what hope they had. 
under times of such trial and struggling. But what was this great hope they had? (coughs) So what was this great hope? Well, firstly, it's easy to say what it wasn't. It wasn't that life was going to be easy. It was all going to work out okay uh, from a human perspective or a normal perspective. It wasn't that you're suddenly going to have no more answers uh, anymore, that all the mysteries were going to be solved. It wasn't that you were going to get rich quick. Or even that you were never, uh, you were going to be immune to all diseases or to all pain, um, and that you were never going to die. You were going to just kind of keep going in this life. Um, it wasn't that stuff at all. It wasn't even that you wouldn't be killed, because many of the apostles themselves were tortured and imprisoned and impoverished because of their faith. And these were the leaders of this great hope of this new fledgling Christian church that was growing. And so many others were became refugees, forced to move on to leave family homes and villages and towns and businesses because of this new hope for fear of their lives. Indeed, the writer of our reading this morning, good old Peter, good old Peter the fisherman, you know, the Peter we know and love. Um, he was told by Jesus about his death, a cruel death that awaited him if he would follow him. You see, it's clear in this life that hope wasn't that everything was going to be okay in the normal sense of the word for these earliest Christians. So what was this great and powerful hope they knew? Well, Peter says one of the causes of their great joy was that you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we say, aha, I knew it. That's what the hope is. My true hope is that in the end, I get to escape this horrible physical world and my soul kind of floats off in heaven to live like a spirit life with him there forever, with God there forever. And I was watching an extraordinary clip on YouTube the other day of an ex-Vietnam soldier telling his experience of what it was like as an American to be in Vietnam fighting that horrendous war that dragged out for so long and and caused such damage and achieved so little. And he said it was a living hell, the cruelty, the violence, the risk of death, the suffering at all times that he was involved in. And he said that he just dreamt in the last nine months, uh, he just tuned out and just dreamt of the day that would come when an aeroplane would come and take him, the bird he called it, and fly him away from that hell, uh, and which in the end it did. And it's that. Our hope, is that what Peter means by the salvation of our souls? It's almost certainly not what Peter and the rest of the New Testament writers mean by the salvation of our souls. You see, their hope wasn't just about individuality or individual people just tolerating life right now, tuning out, if you like, sticking our fingers in our ears, knowing that one day we're going to fly away to a better place and leave this living hell behind, to use that phrase. Too often we've been focused too narrowly on just the individual hope when we've been asking what Christian hope is. But to see the great hope of the early church, we actually need to broaden our gaze. Not just a bit, but a lot. Because when Peter and the early apostles spoke about Christian hope, they rarely have ever started from a tiny individual perspective, which we so often do. Their emphasis was on the big picture. Their hope wasn't just individual hope, it was kingdom hope. God's enormous cosmic rescue plan prophesied about promised in the old testament writings for the whole of god's creation the great hope was that god's 
kingdom was coming. You see, this is a plan where one day all of creation will be renewed. You can read about it in Isaiah and we're going to look about it more next week and pull out some of those passages. But heaven and earth will one day be renewed and the kingdom of God will be established forever. Heaven and earth will come together and it will be like never before. The kingdom of God will be established forever with its joy and its justice. And God will be with us and we will be with him. We will see him face to face. And all those who have died will be raised to bodily life once more and live in this kingdom where there is no more death, no more tears. And this was the great fulfillment of all God's promises that our early Christian brothers and sisters had now come to realise the most extraordinary thing, that this whole amazing plan promised by God centred around Jesus and had now begun to break into the world today. It was happening because of Jesus. You see, when Peter first preaches in Acts 2, and I can't go into detail on any of this, I could speak to you this morning probably for a couple of hours. I'm going to try and keep it as short as I can. But Peter doesn't preach about individuals going to heaven when they die. And we'll talk about that in a minute because they do. But that's not where he starts. That's not where he goes. He talks about God's master plan and preaches about how Jesus, the one who was crucified and rose again, is the Lord and rescue a front runner at the centre of it all. Only then do people ask, so what must we do? If this is true, this huge plan of God's is true and it is happening and Jesus is who you say he is and he has risen again. What do we do? Repent and be baptised so that you too can be part of this plan, Peter says, and you will be forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. And he says again in Acts 3, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah. Remember, Jesus had already come, but Peter's hope was that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him. Jesus must wait there in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Peter and the disciples, earliest Christians, were not just waiting to escape and tune out. They were waiting for the time when God would send Jesus who was Lord and King to come again, this time to transform everything, and restore everything, to bring about God's perfect kingdom of justice and joy for all eternity. It's extraordinary. And this is exactly what Jesus came to tell us as he preached the good news. What did Jesus go around preaching? That the kingdom of God is near. He didn't preach, come and get a ticket and get out of this awful place. He preached that God's way, God's rule, God's presence was drawing near. Get ready. And in fact, through his ministry, it was already breaking in. He called us, Jesus, to live lives that reflected this new kingdom of love and justice. His Sermon on the Mount is what it's all about. He brought signs of the kingdom through his miracles of healing and provision, his hospitality, if you like, thinking about what we were talking about earlier. He introduced to us a relationship with the Father that would one day be face to face, but that we could know now. And he taught us to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The great kingdom prayer. And then finally, through his death, resurrection and ascension, he opened the door that would make it possible for the kingdom to come breaking into our lives, in our world today. 
The great Christian hope is that God is making all things new. And Jesus, Messiah, Lord and King, is right at the centre of it all. Because what Jesus had already done had brought this hope into being. And what Jesus will one day do, friends, will bring this hope to completion. You see, this is where we turn to Easter. And I'm pleased to be talking about Easter before we get there to prep us thinking about just how amazing it is. And we turn here to the language of the creed and the early church where we realize why Easter and what Christ did really is at the center of our faith. It's not just another nice celebration. It is the heart of who we are and the hope we have. Why it is the highest celebration in the Christian calendar. Now we can only skim across it this morning. But I want to look at Jesus's death and resurrection and ascension and his return. Uh, Each one of those could be a series of sermons on their own. But I want us to get a flavour of how it all fits together in this great hope that we have as Christians. So firstly, let's look at the death of Jesus. And I'll be quick on each of these. I won't be able to do them justice. You'll still have lots of questions. But just grab a sense of what's happening here, the big picture. We start with something that we as evangelicals have realised the significance of. We've cherished this. We've preached on this. We've explored this. There's still so much more for us to know and explore about just how amazing what Jesus did. Indeed, Peter starts this letter a few verses before we read, saying that we believers have been sprinkled by Jesus's blood. He's talking about the cross there, that in some way we have been washed of all the mess of mistakes and sin that we're guilty of. All of us are guilty. He goes on to say later in the letter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. We might be totally changed. It's still so hard, actually, to take in that right at the heart of his incredible plan of redemption is a choice that God made. To become like us, like me and you, human like us. And although he was sinless and lived a perfect life, he chose to bear our sin. To die the death we deserved because of the life we have all chosen. To take the punishment we deserve for our selfishness. To pay the ransom that we could never afford so that we might be rescued and freed and saved and forgiven. He died to free us from the power of darkness over us and break every chain of bondage that held us as a slave to sin and death. He hung there in your place and he hung there in mine. This was the greatest demonstration of love that the world, that the universe has ever seen or ever will see. And because of it, when any human being any of us put our trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, make him their Lord and King. They are born again, born again. The Bible says what an amazing image. The old life, the old person dies with Jesus on the cross. We die to sin, Peter said. And then they have a totally fresh beginning. We now live for righteousness. That is God declares that you and I are perfect and clean and white as wool because of what Jesus 
did. Everything we've done. Fault, guilt, shame is taken away. The wall that divided us from relationship with God has come crashing down. We can know God as our Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit at work in us. There's no wonder that the symbol of our faith is the cross. The symbol that says there is no one here tuning in this morning that can't know forgiveness and new life. No one that can't have that hope. Symbol of our dying to the old and being made new again. There's no wonder that baptism is right at the heart of our faith. That symbol of dying, going down with Jesus and dying to the old and coming back up, a fresh start, forgiven, clean, a new life. Friends, if you're a Christian today and you haven't been baptised, can I say to you, now is the time, this year, this moment. It is a call of Christ. Whatever's holding you back, don't let it hold you back anymore. If it's nerves or worry, come talk to me. Email me today and just start the exploration. We can meet together. We can have a baptismal course. And let's have something to really look forward to when we can gather back together in person. Let's see some of God's people make that step of commitment to baptism. It's not an optional extra. It's right at the heart of our faith. If you love Jesus, then come and be baptised. The cross, total forgiveness, relationship with God. Surely nothing could be greater than this. But friends, that is not the end of the story of our hope. It's just the beginning. So let's talk about resurrection because Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just stay dead. He rose again on the third day to life. The first day of the week. If you want to know why we meet on a Sunday and have done for 2,000 years, that's the reason why, because we celebrate his resurrection on the day of the week that he rose again. And all that that means, because this isn't God just showing off his power, doing some arbitrary trick just to Jesus, say, whoa, look at that, to impress the world. No, this moment in history is totally central to our Christian hope. Peter writes, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, not only did it prove that he was all that he said he was, that he was the Messiah, he was God's son. But in that moment, he became the great forerunner and example of what would happen to all who put their trust in him. In that moment, true resurrection and new life broke into history for the first time ever. You see, we were not created to float about but to have an embodied existence. That's what creation is. The created order isn't evil by design. No way. God made it. He loved it. It is God designed and God declared it very good. He declared us as humans, embodied, very good. The pinnacle of his creation. But it's all been corrupted by sin. And because of sin, death, is now the great enemy that puts an end to our embodied lives, doesn't it? When Jesus rose from the dead, though, we see that he had conquered the power of sin and death and its terrible reign over creation and humanity. You see, when Jesus rose again, he didn't just float out of his body, because if he did, then death had still kind of won, because he was still dead, but he was floating off in a different type of existence. But Actually, crucially, the Bible tells us that the tomb was empty, i.e. his created body was somehow part 
of that resurrection and had been renewed and transformed, ready for the new creation, ready for that day when God was going to make all things new. The Bible account tells us that he wanted his disciples to be sure he wasn't a ghost. He ate fish. There you go. Food again. I told you, even Jesus, when he comes back, he likes to eat and have hospitality. He wanted them to see the holes in his hands and his side and feel them. They are real. Those marks were still there. He was somehow the same and yet he could walk through walls. He wasn't always recognisable. Somehow he was different. He was more amazing than ever before. He had what scripture calls a heavenly body, ready for the great promised day when heaven and earth would be transformed and come together in the fullness of God's perfect kingdom. And what's amazing, friends, and this might be like, whoa, Matt, you're going quite fast here. Stick with me if you can. What's amazing is that the Bible says this wasn't a one-off. The same thing will one day happen to you and me if we've put our trust in Jesus. And this is why for the earliest Christians, the resurrection really mattered. It wasn't incidental. It was central to their hope. It was the future kingdom breaking in to now, into today. It was the beginning of the transformation of all things. And you can read about it in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, if Jesus didn't actually rise in the body, then our faith is useless, he says. Whoa. But hang on, Matt, I thought I was going to heaven when I die. And friends, I would love to give more time to this. I'm just going to touch on it. And again, I may not get all of this right. There are still mysteries. But this is what scripture seems to say, that you are going to heaven when you die. Heaven is real. It's the place where God resides now. It's the place where Jesus is. And just like he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. There is no doubt heaven is a place more wonderful than we could ever imagine. But even that, according to scriptures, is not the end of our hope. For heaven, the Bible says, is not our final resting place. For the day is coming when those who have died in heaven will arise. And along with those who are still alive, will don new bodies, new heavenly bodies, new created bodies, ready to live in the renewed creation forever. And on that day, as Paul says this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality and then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting this is the great hope of the bible this is the great hope of the earliest christians and this is why we say we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. When we sing of going to be in glory, it's so much better than just a disembodied life floating around. It's going to be amazing. But what about now? Is there hope for today? Well, in short, the answer is yes. Absolutely. You see, when Jesus rose again, he didn't just hang about on earth. He ascended into heaven and was given the place of all authority. He told us that himself seated at the right hand of the father and that gives us enormous hope for right now and he calls us to act in that hope right now to go in that hope and to share that hope and see that hope break into others lives right now because whilst the principalities and powers of darkness in the heavenly realms may still hold some sway christ reigns right now Whilst people still hate and reject and rebel against God's love and goodness, Christ reigns. Whilst the kingdom is not here in all its fullness yet and there is still suffering and disease and sickness and death as we know right now, Christ reigns. 
Jesus Christ is Lord. No other earthly power, no other spiritual power. Jesus is Lord. This was central to the great message of the early church. It is central to our Christian hope. He is on the throne and one day the world will know this. I saw a tiny clip of an old dated film where a Roman general or something was a, was before the emperor or something. And the emperor said, will you deny Christ? Will you deny him? And then you can go free. He said, I cannot deny him because he is Lord and king. He is my king and he is your king. He is Lord of all. But even more than this, friends, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, when I go, I will send the spirit. And he sent his spirit, the same spirit who was at work in his resurrection body that raised him from the dead. His same spirit that brings new life and the transformation of all things breaking in. He sent to us, just like when Jesus rose again, the kingdom hope that is come to, that is breaking into our lives and world today by the Holy Spirit is here. The Spirit fills us, empowers us, equips us to bring about the power and justice of the healing of the, of the kingdom to come, to bring about the healing of the kingdom to come into today's world, into our lives, into our communities. When we pray, we pray expectantly, friends, full of faith, looking for the power and healing signs of the kingdom breaking in around us. When we work for justice, when we pray for a miracle, we don't do it wistfully, but full of faith and hope, knowing that Jesus is Lord and that his kingdom is breaking in, that we are filled by his spirit, that his spirit is at work in this world. When we cry out for our communities, we cry out, Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, have mercy. Lord, come and move by your spirit. Come and bring your healing touch. Come and change this world. We are people called to see lives, communities, families, our world transformed by the king, by Jesus, by his inbreaking kingdom, by his presence, by his compassion, even in this current crisis. And this is so crucial that we're going to focus on it next week. But that just leaves us to ask and we go to the return of Christ. But when, Matt? When? When will all this amazing kingdom finally come into being? It's breaking in now, but when will that day come where God does finally make all things new? When? The great answer, of course, is when Jesus comes again. It was what Peter was waiting for, what Paul was waiting for, what the early Christians were all waiting for. It is what we are waiting for. When Jesus comes again to bring to earth his perfect judgment, he will judge the living and those who have died. That's what scripture says. And in a glorious act of power, he will make all things new of recreation, of restoration, of redemption. He will make all things new. Heaven and earth, the Bible says, will come together and the great hope of scripture and the full inheritance of all who are in Jesus will finally be revealed. This is what Peter's talking about when he says you have an inheritance kept safe for you in heaven who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow. And that even though, even through any suffering we experience now, our faith will result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus is revealed, Peter says. Wow. I will say it again, and I've just been able to skim across some of the biblical picture here, friends, uh, that our hope is huge. 
And it's so much bigger than just you and me. It's a hope for the future for all creation. Our gaze needs to be opened again in this season to the fullness of it all. But I want to finish by saying that as big as it is, it is also a very real hope for you and me as individuals. A hope that we can know in our lives today. A hope that we can experience and see the power of breaking in in our lives and around us and through us today. You see, Peter talks about the end result of my faith and your faith being the salvation of our souls. And we know he's not just talking about a quick escape from a horrible world. He's talking about something far, far more wonderful. But he's also making it really clear that you and me matter, that we can be part of this amazing plan. It's not just for other people. It's also for you and for your loved ones and for your family and for your neighbours, for all who would put their trust in Jesus. Because the word soul he uses here, and there's lots of different uses of it in scripture, really one way of thinking of it is that bin in you that recognises that you are you. I know that's a weird way of saying it, but the real you, the embodied, complicated, fragile, thinking, feeling, dreaming, growing person that you are. When you put your trust in Jesus, you are safe. You are saved and are being saved. Forever, no matter what happens, whether trials or suffering or even death, God's plans are coming to be coming to pass. And you, it says, will be shielded by the power of God until that great day. When it comes in love and joy and justice and all its fullness. God has a plan for the world. And he has a plan for your life, too. That you would know this joy and healing and fruitfulness. You would know this hope today breaking into your life. One day you too will die unless Jesus comes before. And you will go to be with Jesus in heaven. With the elders, scripture speaks of the angels, the glory of God, a most incredible place. But you too will be waiting for that day when Jesus will come again to earth and make all things new. And your body will be restored, a new created body, a heavenly body ready for the new heavens and earth to live in the kingdom of God forever. Where you will see God face to face. He will dwell with you and you will know love and joy and fruitfulness you could never imagine. I wonder, have you fully grasped the true hope that is found in Jesus, friends? Is it time this morning to realise the big picture again? Life's not just about grinning and bearing it until we escape. But life's about the great plan of redemption God has for all things. And that includes you. He you to be part of it, to know the power of the hope that it brings. And I invite you this morning, if you're tuning in and you've never known this hope, you've not made Jesus your saviour, you've not said, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and my King then you can do that this morning and let that hope come flooding into your life today. Let's finish by praying. Let's finish by praying. And I invite everyone to pray this prayer. If you're a Christian, it's a prayer of recommitment. And if you're not, perhaps for the first time, you could pray this prayer of committing to Jesus and his plans for the world and his plans for you. 
and know the hope that he brings. Let's pray together. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, King of all, your plans for this world are amazing. I am sorry that I have lived my life for my own gain so often, ignorant of you. Lord, your plans for me and my life are also amazing. And I'm sorry for the mess I've made of it and the sin I have chosen and embraced. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on that cross to break the chains of sin and death that were holding me down. I receive your forgiveness now and I surrender this morning to your plans for me to be a part of your kingdom coming on this earth. Please fill me now with your Holy Spirit and flood my life with your hope. In Jesus' name, Amen.